An explosion of locally transmitted local cases was reported on Sunday. The CECC reported a staggering 83 local cases, the highest daily count so far this year. Here's the breakdown in each municipality. 19 in Jilong, 6 in New Taipei, 52 in Xinju, 2 in Kaohsiung and 4 in Taidong. There were an additional 120 imported cases. The most prominent 52 cases in Xinju mostly originate from a dorm for migrant workers who work in the Datan power plant in nearby Taoyuan. But what really worries CECC Commander Chen Shizhong are three virus transmission chains that were found in a karaoke parlor in Jilong, a hikers club in New Taipei, and a family in Taidong. All are believed to be spreading. This is what Chen had to say. Some of these places where people come and go are a little shady. They are invariably related to specific entertainment venues, especially those that provide escort services. So starting now, we are requiring the whole country, when entering these specific entertainment venues, to provide proof of having received at least three doses of vaccine. Those who have not been vaccinated with a booster shot are not allowed to enter. And you have to provide personal details before entry. Of course, those with respiratory symptoms and fever are not allowed to enter. In the future, when entering karaoke parlors, dance halls, nightclubs and other entertainment venues, whether you're an escort or a customer, a certificate showing you've had three COVID shots must be provided. All workers at these venues should be fully vaccinated with the second dose received at least 14 days ago. Those that have received the second dose more than three months ago need to get a third shot. Otherwise, they're barred from providing any services. The CECC is endeavoring to cut all possible channels that allow the virus to spread. Former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo whipped up a firestorm earlier this month when he said the U.S. should grant formal diplomatic recognition to Taiwan. However, another former U.S. official, William Stanton, who served as the de facto U.S. ambassador to Taiwan, warned that such a move would outrage China, adding that the American Institute in Taiwan already functions like an embassy. It's more important to take practical and concrete steps to strengthen bilateral relations, he said. There's no question that Taiwan deserves worldwide diplomatic recognition. Even though he thinks Taiwan should be recognized by the international community, former AIT director William Stanton thinks that if the U.S. grants Taiwan diplomatic recognition, Taiwan will be the one that bears the brunt of any fierce backlash from China. He said at this juncture, practical support from the U.S. is key in U.S.-Taiwan relations. Although AIT is not called an embassy, I can assure you as someone who served for 34 years as a U.S. diplomat, it functions like an embassy in every way. Meanwhile, instead of just rhetorical support, the United States needs to undertake practical, concrete steps that will strengthen its relationship with Taiwan and also Taiwan's defensive capabilities. A Japanese scholar holds similar views. Taiwan expert Yoshiyuki Ogasawara says that although the U.S. does not formally recognize Taiwan, it has enacted the Taiwan Relations Act, 
which means that regardless of whether the US gives Taiwan formal diplomatic recognition, the Taiwan-US relationship will be unaffected. He also thought Japan should expand its exchanges with Taiwan, which would be of considerable use in curbing any potential emergency Taiwan might encounter. In addition, in the context of the Russo-Ukrainian war, China has realised that the costs of an armed attack are too high, which has disrupted its previous plans of taking the island with ease. He thinks Taiwan needs to maintain the status quo to prevent China finding any pretext to unleash its army on the island. Currently, this is the most sensible way to protect itself. We can develop a situation of mutual benefit with other countries with closer, high-level relations or even tying together some aspects of their national security and Taiwan's high-tech industry, and then we can go and promote substantive bilateral cooperation. In this area, if Taiwan were to meet with an emergency, it would mean other countries' security would also be in trouble. If the bilateral relationship can be even more stable and if there can be security cooperation, then Taiwan's security would be tantamount to other nations' security. Under such circumstances, it would be better for Taiwan to have such practical security guarantees. All in all, Shen agreed with the two experts from Japan and the US, pointing out that Taiwan needed to strengthen and develop practical relations with other countries in order to ensure the nation's security and stability. The NGO Taiwan Good Association held a banquet Sunday for Ukrainian expats to hear their views about the war in their home country. Anatoly, the younger brother of famed Ukrainian-born Taiwanese actress Larisa Bakurova, said Taiwan should ban the import of Russian goods. Because uh, some of them fighting. I know that uh, friends of my friends. I was just, uh, yeah, friends of my friends told me that their friends, their friends died, yeah. Stuff like chocolate and ice cream made in Russia are still sold here. If you really want to help, you should first stage a boycott. The important thing is what they need. For example, they said they need military helmets, body armour and first aid for stanching bleeding. So in the future, if we want to help Ukraine, this is what we should provide. Most Ukrainians who attended the banquet thought the most pressing problem in their hometowns were many students that ought to be at school are now displaced and unable to continue with their studies. They hope the Taiwan government and civil society can offer more help, whether it is by donation to Ukrainian families or providing scholarships. They hope that help can be provided through all kinds of channels. When the separation of powers is mentioned, people tend to think of three branches of government, a legislature, an executive branch, and a judiciary. But Taiwan's government has two additional branches, the examination yuan that selects civil servants and the control yuan, a watchdog agency. Now the ruling DPP wants to scrap them to streamline and modernize the government. On Sunday, Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun said the abolition of the two agencies should be put to a referendum. Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun on Sunday attended a launch of a new book about the 228 incident, a bloody massacre of civilians by the China-based KMT in 1947. This book is called the 228 Rebellion Movement. 
I think the last book she wrote was very good. I have read it, although I haven't finished this one. I know it's also very exciting. The book's author Huang Huijun believes that after the 228 incident erupted, local elections could have been held in accordance with Taiwanese law. But things didn't turn out as people expected, and instead, prominent intellectuals were persecuted. She says it was the most unfortunate event in Taiwan's history. The 228 incident was actually a massacre carried out by an authoritarian ruler who was unwilling to return power to the people after the constitution was approved. Tomb sweeping day is coming. Who has no father? Some people have to bear the pain of having no grave to sweep, no one to worship on the anniversary of someone's death. I think if you are Taiwanese, you should know more about Taiwan's history. I hope that Taiwan can become a normal country, one that the international community can recognize and that can join the United Nations. There's quite a long road ahead. Now that Taiwan has successfully become democratized, Yol stressed that the legislature's passage of a proposal to lower the voting age to 18 is not enough. There are still tough battles ahead for Taiwan to become a bona fide country. I will announce this in the legislative yuan on Monday, and in six months, the bill will be sent to the Central Election Commission, so it can organize a referendum. If our aim is the separation of three powers, then we have to abolish the examination yuan and control yuan. A referendum on this won't make it for the upcoming local elections, but if we coordinate it with the presidential election, there is still a chance for the referendum to be held then. Yo wants to see a referendum on amending the constitution to eliminate these two branches of government carried out during the 2024 election. This is in addition to his support of a referendum to approve lowering the voting age to 18. Which will likely be held at the year-end municipal elections. Last Sunday, we went into the mountains of Taichung to see an innovative elderly care model at work. The Plahen Low Living Space has pioneered a support model that lets people spend their golden years right at home. This model goes above and beyond the legal standards for long-term care, providing unique enrichment activities and therapies for the body and the mind. And yet, the monthly cost of this care is kept low, so that it's affordable for families in rural area. How do they manage it? We find out in part two of Good Care Right at Home. He serenades his chickens with a hymn. This is Zhu Qingqing of Taichung's Mihu Village. Singing is integral to the way he raises his chickens. In April 2021, he started raising 30 hens in a coop he built with his own hands. He was taught how to raise chickens by an expert at the Plahan Collective. Yang Huanjing is a specialist in animal husbandry and its therapeutic effects. Hens are gentle and curious animals, making them a perfect companion for older adults. They also lay eggs, which can become a source of income. Raising chickens can support physical rehabilitation and a healthy lifestyle. I have to get up at 5:30 and feed them. Then I go up the mountain to collect vegetables. 
Every day, he goes and picks three different types of wild greens. The foraging process can be a kind of physical therapy, and it can also stimulate the brain. He collects the vegetables and chops them up. He has to be focused while chopping them. Zhu's wife is one of the long-term care patients at Plahan. The collective aims not only to provide care to her, but also to her entire family. I can't just find odd jobs. We're old, so nobody wants to hire us. Now that he has chickens, Zhu can sell eggs for 12.5 NT apiece for earnings of several thousand dollars every month. Yang and the Plahan Collective have worked to promote chicken husbandry in the village so that people like Zhu can make a living for themselves. Another local, Jiang Zhenrong, has also found therapeutic benefit in raising chickens. Sixteen years ago, Jiang was involved in a traffic accident that left him unable to walk. More recently, his mother passed away. To help him combat depression, Plahan encouraged him to try his hand at raising chickens. Now he spends his days tending to his small farm. I don't get bored, and it's a nice way to pass the days. At about 6 in the morning, they're all like, cluck, cluck, cluck. They keep calling me to get up and feed them. Sometimes we joke that their lives depend on him, so he has to get up and feed them. It's given him a reason to wake up, the feeling that others rely on him. The Plahan Collective aims to provide long-term care not just for the body, but also for the soul. Its network supports not only individuals, but their families and the wider community. Workers put the finishing touches to a house in Mihu. Its owner, Wu De Wang, used to struggle with a drinking problem. Plahan tried to secure government support for him, but he was ultimately ineligible. When offering care at the village, there are some people who don't get approved for government help, but they still have a need, so we continue helping them. So, the collective taught Wu how to care for chickens. Miraculously, the new responsibility of raising chickens pushed Wu on the path to reducing his alcohol use. The collective also helped him improve his living circumstances by enlisting the help of a charity dedicated to building homes. His house was so old and dilapidated. He was living here by himself with no water or electricity. Inside, it was all a mess. I really couldn't bear it. We spent about 600,000 NT on this project and mobilized about 150 people. With help from the charity, Wu was able to start afresh in a new home. His isolation faded away as he found ways to reconnect with the community. Wu started helping other people build chicken coops. He became a handyman of sorts in the village. I would like to thank everyone who took part in this process. Really, nobody gave up on him. With so much faith in him, he's gotten better and better. Changing my life happened just like that. Mm. 
most of the caregivers at Plahan are older women, but there are also quite a few young faces. I used to work at the factory. I was a factory worker at an electronics plant. I also worked in construction. Seeing that many people in her hometown needed help, Wu Xiaojun decided to return as a caregiver. The work provides a steady salary and plenty of time to spend with her family. The biggest difference is that when I was going out of town, it was all very rigid. You go to work, you get off work, it was really inflexible. Your time was all fixed. But when you are a care provider, you can enjoy more flexibility if you need it. You can take on more jobs if you want more pay as well. Plahan operates as a cooperative. All caregivers are members and shareholders who share all profit. Last year, we made 1.6 million NT. If we were a company, that 1.6 million NT would be mine, but we are a cooperative, so we distribute that among the employees. The worker who got the most money last year received a little over 40,000 NT. Many people have been able to pay back loans and buy houses. To have a good job and to be taken care of is a fantastic feeling. To succeed as a care model, Plahan has had to find a way around the government's rigid care rules. Under Taiwan's current long-term care system, family members are designated as primary caregivers. Non-related carers can only be hired for auxiliary support. They are not compensated by the system for providing night care. But in rural areas, many older adults live on their own, which can mean they require assistance throughout the night. Without government subsidies for night care or other support, the care bill can be a prohibitive expense for many families. Currently, the government's rate are 350 NT per hour or 8,400 NT per day for 260,000 NT a month. Those are not affordable prices, so we looked for donors. Another thing is that the caregivers in the village volunteer so that our patients can get 24-hour care. They work for 10 hours, and three of those hours they do as volunteers. Plahan helps older adults afford the care they need. Through government subsidies, public donations, and hours of volunteer work, Plahan can bring the monthly care fee from 260,000 NT to somewhere between 10,000 and 30,000 NT. Caregivers can tally up their volunteer hours and exchange them for caregiving services in the future. You can use those hours in the future when you get older. You can do so when you are older and you need someone to care for you, or if you have someone in your family requiring care. You can exchange all those hours you volunteered. Under the care of the collective, Lin Shan's physical condition improved so much, he went from level 8 to level 2 on the long-term care disability scale. I think the government should reward organizations that help patients go down on the disability scale. From level 8 to level 2, how much money do they save the government? If the government doesn't take steps in that direction, people will say, well, at a level 8, the government gives us 30,000 NT in subsidies. Why should we try to help them improve to level 2? If there's no money to be made at level 2, people will just want patients to stay at level 8. And then all the government's long-term care funds will be gone in a blink. Another problem with the government's long-term care system is that it imposes strict restrictions on how much funding is offered for different forms of caregiving, as well as what tasks can be done.
Under the Long-Term Care 2.0 program, there is a list detailing how much each task costs, tasks like cleaning, tidying up and preparing meals. So each task has a set rate, and caregivers have to get approval to do those tasks. So the scope of things they can do is subject to a lot of restrictions. For example, caregivers can only help with household chores for 30 minutes. They are not permitted to perform tasks such as cleaning or rearranging the home of a patient who's returning from hospital. Nurses can only visit once a week. For cases like that of Lo Yulan who required frequent visits while recovering from a fall, Plahan had to absorb the cost of additional nurse visits with help from donations and funds from the patient's family. The strict rules are in place to prevent people from abusing the system, but in practice, they often serve as a hindrance. Actually, I think the best method would be to design packages tailored to each person and allow long-term care institutions to use the funds freely. Under the current system, the government might spend money, but the patient doesn't recover. By designing packages instead, it would allow for more intense care when the patient is discharged from the hospital, with frequent visits from the nurses. It would cost the same, but the patient actually gets better. Over the past few years, Plahan has extended its care network from the Da'an River to the Dajia River. In the future, it hopes to help people all the way up in Lishan. Joyful laughter like hers will soon resound in more parts of the mountainside as Plahan enters more underserviced areas. As its indigenous name alludes to, the group aims to build a bonfire where everyone can get together and enjoy each other's company even in old age. Next weekend is the four-day tomb sweeping holiday. The Central Weather Bureau is already warning that it'll be wet at the beginning of the break. A weather front will arrive from the north on Thursday, sending the mercury down, and the whole island will be engulfed in rain until Sunday. The weather will then improve over the last two days of the long weekend when the front departs. The CWB says aside from Taiwan's northern and eastern regions where brief showers may still occur, the rest of the island will be sunny then. After the 31st and all the way into the first half of the tomb sweeping break, the wind would side in the north as well as the eastern half of the island will see rain. The same goes for the central and southern mountainous regions where brief showers may occur. The plains in central and southern regions will return to mostly cloudy to sunny conditions. The CWB is also reminding the public to watch for landslides when heading into the mountains to sweep tombs, given the expected rain during the first half of the holiday and the recent earthquakes in Hualien and Taidong.